You are Locked On Magic, your daily podcast on the Orlando Magic, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And you are indeed Locked On Magic. Today is August 22nd, 2019. My name is Philip Rossman-Reich. I'm the expert and site editor over at OrlandoMagicDaily.com. Of course, follow me on Twitter at philiprr_omd. On today's episode of Locked On Magic, we'll talk about the USA's exhibition game against Australia as Team USA gets set for the World Cup. We will be covering the World Cup here, uh, both for the Magic players and for Team USA because we, we're, we're America, damn it. Uh, but uh, we'll, we'll talk all, we'll talk about that game coming up here in just a moment. Some interesting things coming out of that game is, is I do think that, you know, if you're not following the World Cup um, because the star power isn't there, at least follow it because it's going to be competitive. Um, I think Team USA is still clearly the favorite, but definitely some weaknesses and this team is still coming together. So interesting things to talk about coming out of this morning's game. Then we're going to shift gears and talk about someone who should be with Team USA but is not. We'll talk about Aaron Gordon and kind of the areas of growth for him coming up this year and, and where I think that that he can definitely still make some, some big improvements uh, as well. So we'll talk about all that coming up here in just a bit. But before we do any of that, I do want to remind you all that you can check out all the great podcasts on the Locked On Podcast Network by searching on iTunes for Locked On and the team you're looking for. Just like there's a podcast covering the Orlando Magic with excruciating detail, there's a podcast covering every single team in the NBA with the same level of care and detail that you would find here on Locked On Magic. We're going to be talking about Team USA, so if you want to know more about the Team USA Celtics, like Kemba Walker, like Jason Tatum, like Jalen Brown, check out our pals at Locked On Celtics. Donovan Mitchell also figuring to be a major piece to Team USA. Locked on Jazz has you covered with all the thoughts on him. Uh, Miles Turner had a huge game, which we'll talk about here in just a moment. Check out Locked On Pacers for the latest on him. There's, as you can see, there's a Locked On podcast for every single team in the NBA, plus Locked On NBA covering the national perspective, Locked On Fantasy Basketball covering your fantasy needs on the basketball side. Plus, we've got NFL podcasts, including the revamped Locked On NFL, as well as Locked On Fantasy Football, and team podcasts, as well as the NFL season gets ready to kick off. You can find all these great podcasts wherever you download podcasts. So search on search for Locked On and the team you're looking for. The Locked On Podcast Network, it's your team every day. If you chose not to wake up early for the 5.30 a.m. Eastern Time tip-off, don't worry. I didn't either. I slept in and recorded the game and watched it on tape delay. Uh, but Team USA took on Australia this morning, or this evening, I guess, depending on which side of the international dateline you were on, uh, in front of 50,000 fans at Marvel Stadium in Melbourne. And I called it Melbourne because Melbourne is in Florida. Melbourne is in Australia. USA defeating Australia 102-86, to but that score honestly was probably much closer than it seemed. Unthinkably, Australia actually had the lead early in the third quarter. And, and, and while there was definitely some tug and pull and, and the U.S. had the lead for most of this game, they never really got away from Australia until the fourth quarter, until like mid-third quarter, late fourth quarter. After Australia took a one-point lead in the, in the th- early third quarter, the U.S. went on a 10-0 run, led by nine. That was essentially the competitive part of the game. You got to give Australia a lot of credit. These guys have obviously played together a lot longer. They, they kind of know what they're doing. They run a, a pretty intricate offense. They're pretty feisty defensively. They have good size with Andrew Bogut uh, coming off, uh, uh, Andrew Bogut there, as well as Aaron Baines. Uh, they've got a lot of really nice players. 
Um, and they moved the ball really, really well. So they challenged the U.S. defensively and were able to, to get their spurts going. But I think as we kind of suspect and as we kind of know, when Team USA gets its spurt, when Team USA has a spurt or fit of offense, they can overwhelm opponents. Um, they, they have the talent, they have the depth that at any moment the U.S. could just burn off 10, 12 points in a row, can get a bunch of stops. And for a lot of teams, that's probably the game. And Australia's, as far as talent-wise, is probably right on the border of where, you know, that ends the game and makes it a 30-point game or whether it's something they can recover from. And, and Australia is certainly good enough that they were able to recover from it and and get back into it, but they don't really have the the pieces to, to get after US Team USA. And in any case, like most of these early games, as, as I've mentioned when I've talked about some of the Magic players and, and what their teams are doing, they're kind of showing just enough to get through the game but hiding a lot of the things you actually want to do. So, uh, you know, you didn't see maybe Australia finish off the game with their starters or try and make one last push. I mean, once once they kind of established that they could hang with these guys, they, they you know, eased off the throttle a little bit. Whereas Team USA, I think a lot of the issues that we're seeing with them are issues of a team still trying to come together. Issues of a team still piecing together who it is, its identity, and what it wants to accomplish. And so it still feels like, and Team USA's played one exhibition game before this, uh, and that game was marred by a lot of turnovers, it still seemed like to my eye that this is a team that is still coming together. That there's still a lot of figuring out where players need to be, what they need to do, where the, what actions they're going to work through. And so it's still a bit of a struggle for Team USA. I would say this. Team USA in transition is as dangerous as any team. Now, they're not maybe the the, the devastating team that, that the Redeem team was or some of the other teams were when they got out in transition. But when Team USA creates turnovers and gets out on the break, they are as dangerous as anybody. And that's how they're going to put up a lot of points on the board. Uh, just by transition and catching teams in secondary break. Um, I think that they can catch teams off guard a lot. And so... What I was really encouraged with from Team USA in this game was I did see a defensive commitment. Um, you know, I don't think the defense is perfect. I don't think that they're all the way there. And, and honestly, this team may not have the same defensive talent that previous iterations of Team USA had, and that could be a problem. But as far as the team coming together, the effort seems to be there. The eagerness and willingness to defend is there. And, and I think that with a Team USA like this, especially... That's going to be key to their ultimate success because in transition, there is probably no team in the league or in, in this tournament that's going to be able to hang with them. Really, the only team that might is Greece, and that's only because they have Giannis Antetokounmpo, who is unstoppable in transition. So I would say that that Team USA showed some, some really, really nice things there. Defensively, I think that they are coming together. Offensively, I thought it was a little bit of a slog. Um, and the offense kind of went hot and cold. Uh, there were, I, I, like I said, I think that they work really well in transition. The half-court offense, it, it just it felt like a preseason game. Everything was just a hair off. It wasn't like a finely tuned machine. Australia, they were running pretty well. I mean, U.S. put, put in some good defensive work, but Australia was still able to run and, and, and get good shots and have their spurts. So, you know, even defensively, I would say Team USA still has work to do. That offensively, I thought the half-court offense was still very much a work in progress. That offensively, uh, Team USA was 
not so much going through the motions because I don't think that. I think there was there's effort and they were playing hard. I think that Team USA was more still figuring out what they want to do. Um, you know, I think that Coach Popovich is trying to to implement some Spursy stuff in there, and, and Australia plays a very Spursy offense. They're trying to implement a lot of cutting and, and, and some kind of movement and some complicated actions that the team just hasn't gotten down yet. And I think that's why Australia was able to keep the game close in the first half more than anything. Because Team USA was just a little uneven offensively. We're, we're still seeing some turnovers. I don't think it was as bad as Friday night. But I, I think that that the, the, the team just didn't feel right. And credit to Coach Popovich because... You know, that ultimately this team wants to win. And, and even in these friendlies, like the pressure is on the U.S. to go undefeated. The, the U.S. does not want to lose any games. I mean, they have not lost a game in major international competition with NBA players. So I'll exempt the qualifying, which they did lose a few games. They have not lost a, ma- uh, a major international game since the 2006 semifinals of the World Championship when they lost to Greece. And, and that was sort of a wake-up call even for the Redeem team. That was like, oh, we, we do have to actually try in these games. We can't just show up and win. Um, and, that, and that's certainly going to be the case in this tournament. So I, I credit Coach Popovich. They went to a lot more simplified pick-and-roll actions in the, first, in, in the second half. They used Kemba Walker a lot. I think he scored 21 of his 23 points in the second half. Um, he scored the majority of his 23 points in the second half at the very least. They're able to get guys going downhill. And with Kemba Walker and Donovan Mitchell... Those guys are going to be a lot of fun to watch together. Um, and as someone tweeted at me, the Hornets could have actually had that, but but they didn't because um, they drafted uh, Malik Monk instead. Um, but those two guys downhill on pick and rolls, so if you could kind of cycle them through pick and rolls and have pop, have players popping out the three-point line, this offense can still be really, really dangerous. You can create actions to get them in the paint, cause a defense to collapse, and hit open shooters because that's one thing this, this Team USA has is great shooting. Uh, Team USA ends up shooting 43% from three. You know, whether it's Kemba Walker, Donovan Mitchell, Miles Turner hit a few threes, uh, Kyle Kuzma can hit from the outside, Tatum can hit from the outside. They've got, uh, Joe Harris is, is on the team. He started in this game. They got Chris Middleton, uh, Brooke, uh, Brooke Lopez can hit from the outside. This team has shooters. And so I think the general idea with the team's offense at the end of the day is going to be pick and roll with, with Walker or Mitchell. Get guy, get him into the paint, collapse the defense, kick out to three-pointers, or finish at the rim. I think that's going to be the basic strategy for Team USA, and they certainly got the players to do it. And I think that really came to the forefront in the second half, especially when Team USA took its lead. I mean, I think, I think Team USA obviously wants to find different and new ways to attack like that, uh, but, uh, but uh, find new and different ways to attack, you know, other than just kind of simplified sets. But I think that's ultimately going to be this, this team's bread and butter. It will be interesting when a team decides to go zone against Team USA because then you lose a little bit of that pick and roll action. And teams will zone Team USA, even though they have great shooters. They're going to dare Team USA to pass them out, pass them out, and uh, pass, pass themselves open or pass into the paint. And that's, I think, where we might see some struggles. So I, I would hope that, you know, whether it's Canada, because um, they'll play Canada coming up, I hope that Team USA will get to see some zone defense here coming up soon because I think that's something they absolutely have to work on because if I were a coach, I would be looking to throw some exotic zones at Team USA. I'd be I'd be looking at two threes. I'd, I'd be thinking about 3-2, honestly, run a 3-2 zone or maybe even like a 1-3-1 one, one zone uh, and try and maybe not trap, but but kind of force them into those, into those short corners and 
and, and force them into into taking into taking kind of threes without collapsing the paint a little bit. Um, and see see if that see if that works. I mean, I, I think that's definitely something that will do. But uh, overall, I think this was a good outing for Team USA. Australia is the exact right test for them. They're a solid team. They're together. They knew their stuff. They ran their stuff effectively. They forced Team USA to put put in you know a really solid effort. Uh, and, and they on both ends of the floor, and they provided a really nice challenge. And I'm interested to see how Team USA attacks them and how Team USA grows uh, heading into the next game. They'll play Australia again on Sunday, if I'm not mistaken. So that is actually a midnight tip, so we can stay up and watch that. I'll probably see up and watch that and, and pod after after the game ends. So uh, a lot to get to there. Let's run through some some final stats. Um, Kemba Walker with 23 points to lead all scores. Miles Turner, a really nice game. 15 points, 14 rebounds. I think size is one of Team USA's weaknesses in this tournament. Seeing Turner gobble up rebounds and, and be a presence in the paint, uh, especially against some veteran bigs like Andrew Bogut, who, I mean, Bogut is, is killer, and and he did some really nice things uh, throughout the game as well. Uh, Turner did a really nice job, I thought, overall. He's going to be really key for this team. Donovan Mitchell with 13 points. Kyle Kuzma, every Magic player's favorite. 12 points on 4 for 5 shooting from beyond the arc, so good to see him hitting threes. I, I think that was that's my criticism for him being on the team over Aaron Gordon, is that Gordon is a better defender and a better three-point shooter, but that's neither here nor there. Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum with 11 points each. So Team USA getting plenty of scoring in the win, uh, getting a really nice win, a 102-86 victory over Australia. They'll play him again coming up here soon, so we'll definitely talk about that when it comes up. But back here stateside uh, to, to the Orlando Magic. Um, you know, uh, the summer's obviously kind of winding down and, and we're still kind of figuring out what we have and who these, these players are. And, you know, obviously it's, it's kind of the time for lists and, and, and for, for some strange things. And, and Brian O'Ringer, who, you know, you know former, former scout uh, for the Washington Wizards, he's kind of become a, a Twitter personality that... Uh, you know, frankly, has drawn drawn some controversy, but he put out a list of uh, uh, top five vets with a lot of untapped potential. Uh, and you know, Aaron Gordon was not among the top five vets, and nor should he be. But among the honorable mentions, and I don't know how Brian came up with this list. It might be fan suggestions. It might be his own personal list. But among the honorable mentions were Mario Zonia. We love him. And yes, Aaron Gordon. A veteran with a lot of untapped potential. Now, I saw this list and I said, you know, considering how good, and, and I, I, I commented on it and I didn't mean it to offend Brian or, or anything like that, because I, I, I actually kind of agree with him. As good as Aaron Gordon is now, and Aaron Gordon is very good, as good as Aaron Gordon is now, I agree, he can still be a lot better. In fact, I, I think one of the confusions of when this when when this tweet came out, and I, and I amplified it a little bit to the Magic fan base, and, and so I, I maybe I apologize for that, but... Um, Aaron Gordon is the only player on this list outside of Andrew Wiggins who is a starter. And Brandon Ingram's on there too, I guess. So 
Um, he's the only guy on his second contract who is who's a clear-cut starter in the league. Aaron Gordon is a clear-cut starter in the league. That's that's no doubt. But I agree with this list, and I agree with Gordon's inclusion in this list because I, for one, believe he can still get a lot better. That he still has a lot of untapped potential. And at 23 years old, it still feels like the world is open to him. That he can be that guy to, to take another step in his game. You know, I, I think I can sit here and honestly say unabashedly that I like Aaron Gordon's game. I like Aaron Gordon as a person. He's, he's a good guy. I like him as a person. I like his game. I like him as a person. And I, I'm really intrigued to see where he grows because he is such a blank slate. I know I've spent a lot of time on this podcast talking about Aaron Gordon's development and his growth curve. I remember two years ago when he was putting in points and scoring a lot scoring a lot, and seemed like he was ready to break through, that some of the things that we were frustrated with about him, his you know tendency to go one-on-one and over-dribble, was okay because he was exploring the limits of his game. He was going through the growing pains that seemingly all guards go through. He's going through the growing pains that all like scoring players go through. Kevin Durant went through it as rookie year. Go look at Kevin Durant's rookie stats and how bad those numbers look. But he had to go through that. He had to learn what a good shot was, what a bad shot was. And last year, Gordon's scoring took a step back, but Steve Clifford had him focus more on his defense, which was a good sign. And not only that, Aaron Gordon became a more efficient scorer. I think a better scorer in some ways. And had his game round out more. There were still remnants of that. There's still moments where he over-dribbled and, 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 and we were like, just pass the ball, Aaron. Stop dribbling, pass the ball, move the ball. Don't take that shot. That's not a good shot. But those started to be, decrease more and more. And honestly, in the playoffs, Gordon was the Magic's best player. I thought that he, you know, in fairness, no one defended Kawhi Leonard well, but I thought he defended Kawhi Leonard pretty well, and and Leonard beat him to a lot of things, and I think Gordon just maybe didn't have that extra extra inch of focus, so to speak, that you need for the playoffs, and, and I think it started to develop as the series went on, and especially offensively, I think there was a little bit of hesitation to go at Kawhi Leonard defensively because of Leonard's reputation when the Magic needed someone else to step up, and and when the Magic had success in Game 4, it was because Aaron Gordon started to kind of take control and, and seize the game a little bit more. So, uh, I, I, I've often said, 2018, Gordon swung too far to one side as, as a scorer and was taking bad shots. And in 2019, Gordon swung too far to the other side where perhaps he wasn't taking enough shots or, or looking for his own offense enough or seizing control of the game when when he needed to. And the fact of the matter is, we still don't 
maybe have a sense of what Aaron Gordon's ideal role is. We know that that he's, at least for now, because Jonathan Isaac's still young and figuring stuff out. We still, you know, Aaron Gordon is still the team's best defender. I think that he's still the team's best perimeter defender at the moment. And again, Jonathan Isaac's coming for that role very, very quickly. And so that's part of what the Magic need him to do. The other part is they do need him to score, but where he fits into the offense is still a bit unclear. And it's always been unclear. That's always been the narrative about Aaron Gordon. With Aaron Gordon, when he entered the league, he was the ultimate tweener, this uber-athletic forward with, you know, no jump shot to speak of at the time, who was maybe too small to guard fours, but couldn't play on the perimeter like a three. Of course, in the time that that he's been in the league, A, he's developed a three-point shot, shooting 34.9% from beyond the arc last year, which was was a career high. Uh, And and it's expected that he'll continue to improve as he's improved his three-point percentage in each of the past three years. But it's kind of proven over time that Gordon is the exact versatile forward you need in this league because he can guard so many different positions. And so now it's just about finding his best fit offensively. Undoubtedly, the biggest part of unlocking his game, if he's going to take, you know, 4.43 pointers a game like he did last year, down from 5.9 in 2018, by the way, if he's going to look to make two three-pointers a game, he's got to improve his three-point percentage. That's a huge part of his game. Most people would probably say the next part is dribble moves, being able to attack off the dribble, which... You know, he does a good job getting to his spots and, and hitting a mi- hitting mid-range jumpers. As long as he's in rhythm and not over-dribbling, that's pretty good. But it's really the, the next two things that I think matter more for Gordon in his development. If he's going to become, you know, an all-star or a near all-star or, you know, I, I think his ideal player model is Sean Marion, who was a heck of a shooter Heck of a defender, just filled up a box score. It, you know, was an all-star, but not like a superstar all-star. Sean Marion is who Aaron Gordon should aspire to become. And maybe he's well on his way to doing it. Same kind of athleticism those two had, too. Uh, Gordon's probably more of an athlete. But the, the next stage for Aaron Gordon is, is probably in those other aspects. And his assists, where he averaged a career-high 3.7 assists per game, up 1.4 assists per game, from 2018. He was a better playmaker, and as he improves his dribble moves and his ability to get to the basket, his ability to make passes and his vision will become important too. It's important to note too that his turnovers went up because the Magic put him on the ball more to be a playmaker. And that's something that he said he worked on last year. He said like any other skill, being able to read a defense and pass was something that he put time in as well. And, you know, he flirted with triple-doubles on a few occasions last year. He had games of seven or eight assists. Now, it should also be noted in, in some of those games where he had seven or eight assists, he also had eight, nine turnovers. And so that is something that has to get put, put under control. But the more versatility he brings, the more valuable he becomes. And that's the other aspect of his development that, that he spoke about uh, last week with John Denton of OrlandoMagic.com. 
He said one of the things he's really focused his offseason work on is becoming a better post player. And undoubtedly, this is an area that he needs to improve on. Aaron Gordon is good enough. Yeah, Aaron Gordon is, is versatile. And, and the Magic have a lineup that will force teams to switch or make teams believe they can switch. You run a pick and roll with Gordon and Isaac, you can get a switch onto a smaller player. You could run Fournier Gordon pick and rolls or Gordon Fournier pick and rolls. You have Gordon as the screener. You have Gordon as the ball handler. And you can create advantageous matchups. But too often when Gordon got a smaller guy on him, he wasn't able to take advantage. According to Second Spectrum, Aaron Gordon was about a .77 points per possession on post-up possessions last year. For reference, Nikola Vucevic was around .8 or .9. Post-ups aren't the most efficient way to score. They're essentially isolation plays, but when you have a smaller player on you, you should be able to turn and score pretty easily or force a double team and kick out to a shooter. And too often, Gordon wasn't able to take advantage of it. And when you look at the tape, when you look at the kind of shots Gordon got when he put guys on the block, he was either taking fadeaways, which he didn't need to take over smaller defenders, or he was trying too hard to just bully his way to the basket and force up a right-handed hook. There wasn't quite a refinement to his post game, And it was easy to defend. A strong guard, you know, Kyle Lowry famously, no one can post him up, but a strong guard just had to sit on his on his left shoulder and prevent him from getting to, to his right hand and Gordon and, and just hold his ground and, and Gordon could be called for charge, which Gordon gets called for charges a lot. That's something else he needs to do. He needs to be better under control off the dribble and in the post. But they knew they just had to hold their ground a little bit. And they could force a tough shot from Gordon because he didn't have a counter move or really even a secondary post move. It's either turn over the left, turn over the left shoulder for a hook shot, turn over the right shoulder for a fadeaway. That's about it. And so adding some footwork and adding some elements to his post game is going to unlock a lot of what Aaron Gordon can do. Of course, it's never quite that easy. It's never completely that simple. But doing this and doing this work, whether it's the passing, whether it's the post game, is uh, whether it's the three-point shooting, which all is important. It's all important. He needs to improve all of it. He still needs to get better, as good as he was last year. It's all about unlocking the versatility we know he has on defense, on the offensive end. That's the next big step for Aaron Gordon is becoming as versatile offensively as he is defensively. Being a reliable three-point shooter was a great first step. It made him so much more valuable and so much more of a potent offensive player as evidenced by his jump in scoring from 12.7 points per game in in 2017 to 17.6 points per game in 2018 and hanging around at 16 in 2019. It made him a much more valuable player. Adding a post game so he can take advantage of smaller players when they switch on to him. Improving as a passer. 
becoming better and more controlled off the dribble, that's what could take him to stardom. That's what could take him to realize what still seems like untapped potential. As we begin to kind of set storylines and expectations and, yes, narratives for the 2020 season, one that keeps popping into my head, one that I keep thinking about when it comes to Aaron Gordon as an Aaron Gordon believer, one that I keep thinking about is that this year, this season, is perhaps the year we finally put a ceiling, maybe not a ceiling, but you know, begin building the roof of Aaron Gordon's potential. I still think it's fairly limitless. I still think he can be really good. You know, not Kevin Durant superstar good, but I think he can be an all-star still. But how he responds this year, what improvements he shows this year, where his game continues to grow, how it continues to grow, is going to help us set what we can expect from Gordon for more than the foreseeable future but probably for the rest of his time with the Orlando Magic. There's, of course, always still that current, whether it's from the national media or elsewhere, and I think that's honestly where some of this untapped potential talk comes from, that believe that Aaron Gordon needs to get out of Orlando to realize his potential, and and I don't believe that. I think he can realize it here in Orlando with this team, with this group. It's going to take, you know, Isaac becoming a better shooter, Gordon becoming a better shooter. It's going to maybe take some shuffling in the backcourt a little bit to, to, to give that support. But I think we'll learn a lot about what Aaron Gordon can be this year. Certainly part of that equation, and it's a part that I've skipped over here, part of that equation is him getting consideration for the all-defensive team, a goal that he certainly, he certainly has pushed for and stated publicly he wants to achieve. And that, I think, is absolutely a goal he needs to achieve or be on the path to achieving this year. It's a big year for Aaron Gordon. I, I, I don't think I can stress this enough. But offensively, I think the key for Gordon is showing that he can be a versatile scorer and playmaker. The kind of guy that you know doesn't just anecdotally fill gaps as, as we all said he did, as we all said he did as we watched this team throughout the year but undoubtedly as a vital player for this team and a vital player for this team, honestly, moving forward. I want to thank you all again for listening to today's episode of Locked on Magic. You, of course, follow us on Twitter at Locked on Magic. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Himalaya, the Google Play app, and all the fun places to download podcasts to your podcast-enabled listening device. You can find me on Twitter at philiprr__md. And, of course, for the latest on the Orlando Magic, be sure to check out orlandomagicdaily.com. We're coming up on the final round of fan voting for our, our search for the most underappreciated player in Orlando Magic history. So make sure you follow us on Twitter at OmagicDaily to vote in that. We'll have the final list coming up uh, in the next week or so. I'm, I'm aiming to, to put it out next week at some point. I am going to schedule it for, for maximum exposure, but we'll talk about it here on this podcast as well. Talk about some of our favorite Magic players that we don't talk enough about. So we'll definitely... Uh, definitely get that in there as well. Um, but until then, be sure to follow us on Twitter at OmagicDaily. Follow me on Twitter at R underscore MD. And of course, subscribe to the podcast where you can. 
That's going to do it for me today, though. I want to thank you all again for listening to today's episode of Locked on Magic for Orlando Magic Daily and Locked on Magic. This has been Philip Rossman Reich. I'll see you all again next time for another episode of Locked on Magic. You are Locked on Magic, your daily Orlando Magic podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day.